Um, <coughs> I don't have the money to get sued. And welcome to the podcast. I'm Phil. I am not Ross. And this is uh, Phil and Phil Drew, and Drew <laughs> talk shit of the shit dead. Of dead. <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you in our little preamble beforehand we'd fuck that up, and we did. Yeah, so, uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, good listeners. You. Um, as you may notice, not you. You haven't introduced <laughs> you yet. Um, as you may notice, this isn't Ross. Um, this is, in fact, friend of the show, my former podcast buddy and filmmaker Drew Cunningham, who's come on the show to talk about his film. Hi, Drew. Phil, I'm glad, so glad you got my name right. I know, right? <laughs> after all well, these years. I, I know, after all these years, I, I used to just say Drew. Um, so, yeah, Drew, it's, it's been a while. It's been a long time. I can't remember what the last thing was. Um, Some for This Is Film, uh, film exploitation podcast a while back. Some, some Top Gear commentary that never saw the light of day. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you say that, I, I did re-release the Top Gun commentary episode not that long ago that we did, um, just to highlight what a fucking disaster it was. Hopeless, hopeless. It, anyway, there's only two of us now, so we can't talk over each other too much. <laughs> or shout at each other, or have Andrew, or shout. Or have yeah. Andrew getting stroppy with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we could be opinionated. Yeah, mind. absolutely. So, uh, welcome to the podcast, Drew. Uh, thank thank you. you for stepping in uh, in place of my usual host, Mr. Boyask. Um but I had ulterior motives. Well, I was going to say, not without an agenda. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, if, in truth, I've invited you on because um, you have a film coming out. I do indeed, yes. Tell the good listeners about that. Don't worry, we're not, this isn't all going to be just Drew going, we've got some zombie stuff planned. Don't worry, we haven't lost our shit completely. But I thought it'd be good to talk about this British film. So tell us about the film, Drew. The film is called Shed of the Dead, um, startlingly original uh, title. see what you did there. Um, well, you can't have a zombie film that doesn't have dead in the title, I don't think. Um, <clears throat> and it is up for, it's out on digital release on the 20th of May and has a premiere at Sci-Fi London at the Stratford Picture House on the 18th of May. You probably didn't want that detail. You want to know what it's about, don't you? Well, <laughs> <laughs> good plug, though. Good plug. Yeah, get that in straight away. We'll put that at the end as well, just yeah. to remind people. <laughs> so um, what, what could a film called Shed of the Dead be about? Well, it tells what it says on the tin, really. Um, it's it's basically about a bunch of um, sort of misfit, geeky, not particularly likable characters, and I do stress that because it's it's a criticism that, that I kind of expect to get is oh, I don't like any of the characters, but that's kind of the point. Um, so the the sort of hero of the piece is a guy called Trevor who spends much of his time in his the eponymous shed, uh, painting wargaming figurines and taking shots of his home-brewed um, potato vodka called Trevoff, imaginatively titled as well. Um, <clears throat> he's largely, largely there to to um, escape his shrew of a wife, played by uh, Lauren Soccer, who's, um, as you would imagine, um, from the kind of characters that, that Lauren's played, and she's quite close to that. She's She's brazen and brash and doesn't give him any it's just horrible it's a horrible marriage um so he spends his time away there in this this allotment and um the sort of setup for the story is he's been threatened with a petition by the other allotment owners to evict him because he's he's not much of a gardener let's face it he's just, <laughs> his, his plot's a disgrace as uh, it's described um 
and he gets in a bit of a barney with the guy who's uh, responsible for this organised p- this petition, who's played by none other than Kane Hodder, who you might know Not as the uh, Kane Hodder, the Kane Hodder <clears throat> of Friday the Thirteenth fame. Jason um, said, Jason of the Voorhees. Said Jason. I think he's. I think he's the most prolific Jason now, isn't he? He is. Um, yeah, he's. I think he is the most prolific Jason, um, and certainly, if not the most prolific, certainly the most known. Yeah, yeah. Well, he did. He did um, all the motion capture for the game that came out a year or two ago as well. Oh, he did, didn't he? Yeah, he was doing that when we were filming, or, or shortly after, or before one of the two. Um, so anyway, so <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> years ago, um, so, so Trevor gets into a bit of a Barney with him. Uh, things go south, shall we say? And um, Kane's character, Mister Parsons, ends up on the wrong end of a rake. That's not a spoiler; it's in the trailer. Um, <clears throat> and this sort of unfortunate series of events coincides with. Um, the inexplicable zombie apocalypse that suddenly takes hold and um, Trevor's ends up uh, to begin with trapped in a shed with um, a body that he was trying to get rid of of this Mr. Parsons character and it sort of escalates from then and his friend played by Ewan McIntosh just sort of comes into the story and uh, they try and decide whether or not to save the women folk and and hilarity ensues. Uh, much hilarity does ensue. Um, Kane Hodder has in fact been in four uh, Friday the 13th uh, parts Seven. I can't read Roman numerals. Uh, part seven. Uh, my favourite for all the wrong reasons. Part eight. Uh, the imaginatively titled Part Nine. Uh, actually, it wasn't called Part Nine at all. It was called. Um, I, where is it? I, I, I'm definitely not reading this. Ah, oh, the final Friday. Jason goes to hell, of course. And uh, Jason X, which is one of Space the best. One. Yeah, it's one of the best Jason films ever because it's. I, just, I have to confess, and Kane would probably kill me for this, as he threatens to do to most people. <laughs> I don't think I've seen any of his Jasons, <gasps> unless he did. Did he do Freddy versus Jason? No, uh, no, he was replaced with by in Freddy versus Jason controversially, if I remember right. I'm a rubbish horror fan, aren't I? You really are. I mean, you <laughs> cast a guy in your film that hasn't act, you haven't actually seen play his most iconic role. No, I've seen him as Victor Crowley and Hatchet one, two, and maybe three if there's three of them, and four and seven. <laughs> oh, God, and eight. but he's not. He's not the only um, kind of super super famous person in the film. Well, no, we have well, in his sort of category, we have a little triumvirate, I like to say, of uh, of American horror icons, and I think it's fair to call them such. Yeah, I do um, indeed. So, apart from Kane, we have uh, Michael Berryman, who was in The Hills Have Eyes. Um, oh, iconic, yeah, very uh, iconic. Yeah, and, uh, totally he's got, iconic. And he's and he's obviously obviously Kane. The thing is with Kane is you don't really see Kane very much looking like Kane. Um, he's he's usually covered in stuff, whereas Michael is is known for. <laughs> for his look, shall we say, um, and an interesting one it is. Um, but he was also in, I think, more excitingly, things like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But Yeah, um, and I think that's. I think people forget that. I think people forget he yeah. is more than just the actor that was in that film, but bloody hell, he was that actor in that film. And he's so, yeah, you're right. I It took me a little bit to recognise Kane Hodder because mm. um, he, he doesn't even look like the tall, bulky guy that you recognise in the films. No, um, no. But yeah, no, um, Michael Barryman uh, straight away. Yeah, um, and and the other the other horror fellow we have there is uh, Bill Mosley, who uh, has done a lot of things with Rob Zombie, obviously House of <laughs> Thousand. Um, oh, the names escape me now. What's the next one? Uh, Devil's Rejects. Devil's Rejects, which which I love, even though I just completely forgot the title. Um, <laughs> it's a great and, uh, <clears throat> and and of course the um, Rob Zombie's Halloween remake. 
um, and and lots of other things. Well, Bill's he's a he's quite a cultured guy. So I think he's he's done a few different things, but he's he's just cool as hell. So they're all they're all three very different, but very interesting and uh, yeah, exciting exciting people to have into a film. But you don't stop there. We don't stop. Oh there. no, you don't stop there. You've you've got a true. Uh, true one and only icon in the movie. Uh, are we talking male or female here? We're talking male. We're talking like Good. one of the most memorable voices on the planet. We we, we do have <laughs> um, the the dulcet tones of um, <laughs> Sir Brian Blessed OBE uh, <laughs> in a narratorial role. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it's beautiful. I mean, God. I mean, who, who would have made? Uh, yeah, what? Who would have made you think of getting a, a famous uh, actor in to do the narration on a film, Andrew? No one, <laughs> no one around here has done something similar with that. <laughs> uh, oh yes, our old friend, Mr. Bradley. Yeah, Doug Bradley. Yeah, uh, who I used. Uh, I got for ten dead men to do our uh, narration. So, um, <laughs> tried and tested. He's, to he's, me. he's a good voice as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's a good voice, but no one beats, um, no one beats, uh, Brian Blessed, who, who you're probably now with, with a new baby, you're probably hearing yes. quite a lot of on a daily basis. If, if, um, it's Indiana, isn't it? Indiana. Yeah. yeah. No, we, uh, we've not really done Peppa Pig. Oh, have you not? We, <laughs> that, we that looked at it and, come. well, I don't know. I tried to watch it on, YouTube or something, and it didn't feel like it was whole episodes. It was a bit weird, and she wasn't really into it. Maybe she will be, but she does have a Peppa Pig coat that she inherited from an older child. So uh... <laughs> you you will get into it. And, and she's got George Pig sunglasses, I, whatever not, that means. I'm not joking. It's one of my favourite TV shows that my kids used to watch. It's brilliant. She, she's currently watching Shaun the Sheep, which I think oh. is fabulous. Okay, she wins on that one. So, I mean, that's a hell of a cast. And, of course, you don't stop there. You also have um, Emily Booth, who's done yep. quite a bit. Um, well, and, and is you know, she is the sort of, I suppose, for, for British horror people, she is the sort of the face of uh, horror in this country. Yeah, very much so. You know, largely because of the horror channel and, and, and her appearances. And, yeah, I mean, she, that's what she's known for. Um, so she's, a yeah, obviously a great addition. And then we've got, as I mentioned, Lauren Soccer, who's, uh, you know, throw a BAFTA win, winner into that mix. <laughs> and it gets really confusing. Um, and then we've got the comedic talents of uh, Ewan McIntosh from The Office and other things, films such as The Lobster. Yeah, he, he, was, he was really good in it. He was really good fun. Yeah, he's um, he's a good lad, Ian. Yeah. So how did you put how did you put together such an epic cast? Because obviously, you know, it's 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 not giving anything away to say that you didn't have millions upon millions to make this film. No. Uh, well, you'd be surprised how cheap these people are. <laughs> <laughs> Says the guy that hired <coughs> Bradley for a film once. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, I I wouldn't say it was an easy thing, and I wouldn't say that uh, you know when we started out the casting process, that's probably not. I'm not going to say not the cast we would have wanted because it, it absolutely is because that's what you get and that's what you make the film with and, it, and it's perfect. But um, we obviously explored all kinds of other options. Um, at one point, even Bruce Campbell's uh, was reading the script. Oh, nice! Yeah, that was one of the most exciting days of my life. And his manager was was sort of saying, I'm re "I really want Bruce to. Do it. I think it'd be great for him." Uh, but Bruce said, "No, bastard." I <laughs> I, I think I don't. I don't think he travels much these days. To be fair, no, no, and, um, <laughs> and he's not cheap either. No, he wouldn't have been cheap. The other one we had, um, Robert England, was looking at it as well, um, but we, we just couldn't afford him. 
I remember um, you telling me that he was looking at it yeah. when you were when you originally kind of went into production. Yeah, he, he's another one that that, that again. It's, it's surprising he he's quite expensive because it's it's fair to say he doesn't do a great amount these days. Well, I think and slightly to date our pre-production. Um, timings um i think the, what we heard from his agent i hope this isn't is all right to say but his agent was uh, i think it must have been god i don't know what anniversary it was of nightmare on elm street uh, so, uh, it came out in 84 so um it might have been 30, 30, years? 30 years maybe yeah um, but th- but that was the thing, you know. You know he's he's expensive now because um, it's a big anniversary of, of Nightmare, so everything he does is doubled. <laughs> so he's like, okay, fine, uh, can't afford you. Um, Which is ironic because he was in Strippers versus Werewolves a couple of years before. Yeah, well, there we go. <laughs> um, and he's done a fair few. He's done a lot of films. He has done a lot of films. Yes, yeah, so I didn't didn't I didn't look at his. Um, CV and think where well, he's picky. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, he, is, he is great because anytime, even I've seen shit films that Rob England's in, and he's he's always he always brings something to it, and that's that's I suppose why you get people like that. Isn't it? No, he does, and even even in like the worst film, and yes, the Mangler. I'm looking at you. Um, <laughs> even in the very very worst film, he is brilliant. Um, yeah. you know, he, he's just one of those actors that always kind of, you know, and add to that, he was also, you know, one of the most iconic bad guys in, in the history of bad guys. Um, so I think you alluded to it. It took a, took a little bit of time to get the film, go- uh, to, to, to kind of finish it. Cause you, I think you were pre-production when we used to podcast together, which is going back a few years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> the, the, I can I can I can put perspective on it straight away. The the Indiana who you referred to is um, born of my wife who I met on the set. <laughs> um, so so I managed to get married and have a baby before the film came out. So uh, wow! And, she, and Indy's now a year and four months, year and five months, nearly. Either that, uh, or you, or you just had a very very quick kind of um, meet marriage child. Well, yeah, uh, I don't mess around, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> but the, the the funny thing about it is that we did some uh, green screen sort of extra bits and bobs, and Indy's actually in it in a pram. <laughs> yeah, do you know, what, funny enough, I read that on the IMDb, and I, and that that's quite amusing because obviously you know when the film was actually shot originally, she wasn't even kind of like you said you hadn't met your wife, so or you'd only just yeah. met her in a kind of a professional um, uh, point well, of view. Professional-ish, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this, because so your films, I mean, historically, your films have been um, a pretty kind of quick turnaround. They've been quite um, simple, but I mean that in a very, I, I mean mm. that in a very kind of complimentary way, as in they, they've always been quite kind of couple of locations. I mean, mm. I, I, Devil's Bargain is one of my favourite ones of yours, to be fair. Um, yeah, that was, I don't know, we... <laughs> Three or four days or something ridiculous. We yeah, shot that in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But this obviously a lot more complicated. Well, yeah, um, it's. I mean, it's as you said, it's not. It's not millions. It's not a massive budget, but it's considerably bigger than the sort of micro zero budget stuff that I'd done previously. Where it's just it's a question question of control amongst a lot of other things, isn't it? You know, if I go out with three people and a couple of actors and shoot a film in a week and spend a few weeks editing and you know it can be turned around in very little time um when you're 
you know, just the casting process, going through, you've got to raise money, you've got to get the cast, that chicken and egg thing, you know, you, you can't sign on talent until you've got money, but you can't get money until you've got talent. So that all takes time, obviously. Um, and then the shoots takes a bit longer. It didn't take that long. I think we were only shooting for three weeks. So it was, it was still a, a brisk shoot. Um, but then post-production becomes a bigger thing because there is there's green screen stuff there's visual effects um which, which was quite new to me i've not done the green screen stuff in feature films before um but that all needs to be you know properly realized in post and stuff and you know if you haven't got the millions ready money you know if, if you're game of thrones yes you can turn it around in a few months because you've got teams and teams of people geared up and and that's easy but yeah it's it was a bit more involved and and we there were some issues, as there always are, with low-budget indie oh, films. Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> look, I think we've all been there. Um, yeah. Well, obviously not everyone, but like anyone that's ever made a low-budget indie film. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Game of Thrones has the ability to release an episode on the Monday, realise there's a coffee cup in it, and then yeah. delete it by the Tuesday. You know? Have they deleted it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, apparently they've now taken the coffee cup and out of the episode. Too late. <laughs> all right, the, the illusion has been broken. Eight seasons yeah. and they fucked it with a coffee cup. Um, spoilers. Um, <laughs> so, what was yes, it like? Sorry, sorry. No, I was just going to say it, it. It it does take time, and I, I do have to give a bit of kudos to the producers to sort of, you know, they just stuck with it and got us through the post. And it's all about the, the post deals and getting everything in place. And yeah, it's it's a, it's a labour of love, you know, apart from anything else. So it takes the time, but it's worth the wait. And having a, a, a gaining a wife and a child during post-production doesn't help speed the process up <clears throat> well yeah although to be honest my my involvement with a lot of the post-production i thought wasn't... you could say your involvement with the baby then i was gonna say <clears throat> yeah, no, that, so, that was, so we don't know drew <laughs> <laughs> that was all me um but no i mean obviously i oversaw the edit but we had an editor and i've i've historically in other films i've usually well exclusively always edited my own films this is the first time i've sort of handed over that responsibility to someone else in a post house and an editor there um so apart from obviously I was very much involved in the edit, um, but but there's just more players, you know. There's the producers, there's the visual effects people. We had composers come on, and you know you got the sound design. There was just a lot more, a lot more cogs in the wheel. I think. Yeah, and I, I guess the more the more people you put in that that whole equation, uh, then you you get that kind of longer longer decision making process. One thing I will say, well, I tell you what, I've I've obviously been involved in kind of independent films for many years. Um, <clears throat> I used to make them, and I've reviewed a fair few, and watched a fair few, and had to lie to directors about a fair few that I like them. Um, <clears throat> quite a few, to be fair. I have to say, the one thing that really struck me, and it's from like literally almost the opening credits, this film thinks a lot bigger than its budget would would kind of allow, uh, kind of make you think it could. And you know, production value wise, it's really slick. And I think I said that to you. I was like, I was surprised yeah. at how slick. And um, also, it has one of my favourite opening title sequences of a film ever. That's a really? very clever opening title sequence. I'm glad you like that. I've, I've sort of, I've sort of swayed a bit on that over the over the years, um, because at some point, at some points, I thought it went on a bit too long. But then, you know, you've got Brian talking there, um, and the artwork which our production designer Chris Clayton did, I think, is just stunning. Oh, it's glorious! And the joke, you know, the the zombie film references in that title sequence are phenomenal. I mean, there's so many kind of little nods yeah. and winks in that. 
and that and and that's you know that kind of for me is someone that knows the genre and someone that knows the kind of the films that they're so so there's always, I always think there's two ways you can, you can do a comedy of something like a horror film you take the piss or you kind of do something loving you know Shaun of the Dead uh, obviously referenced very much in both your title sequence and your title itself but Shaun of the <laughs> Dead does it in a very affectionate you know done by people that yes. love the genre and I, I I certainly got that from Shed of the Dead there's a lot of love of the genre here well it's you know what it's a really difficult thing to do and I, I think I I fell foul a bit of it um on my first film Umbridge um it's a lot of a lot of people I think found the references a bit too I don't. I, I don't really know. Elbowed in, or you know, something like that, or, or to. It's a very difficult thing because horror fans are, are so particular, and they either absolutely love it, or they think they're really clever because they get it, or they think it's too obvious, so they hate it. So you can absolutely live or die by your your, your geeky references. So yeah, I've I've made the conscious effort just to sort of just slip a few things in there. I'm not gonna not gonna labour any points. But but just little things, and it's it's actually I, I read a review the other day where someone or saw something where someone didn't think that there were many references, and I thought, wow, <laughs> <laughs> obviously doesn't like the genre that well. Is that Umbridge well, that yeah. stars Doug Bradley? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, well, yeah, I put I put all there were God, there were so many weird references in that. I referenced City Slickers two and fucking <laughs> hell, <laughs> Buffy Buffy's in there and stuff. I mean, Buffy yeah. you'd expect it in a vampire film. City Slickers two, I I think might might be um. That's quite a reference for a, for a vampire. I was film. I was particularly pleased with the city slickers too. Um, <laughs> but yes, I, I got hung on the Buffy one because there's at one point where a character he's been grabbed by the balls by this female vampire character and he goes, "Oh, what would Buffy do?" And I got absolutely crushed because everyone thought I was referencing Supernatural and they thought that was a bit uncool because it's a sort of it's too contemporary and blah blah blah. They've completely forgot that actually Buffy created what would Buffy do? Yes. So, so it, it, it sort of annoyed me because I got crucified by this, <laughs> these, these know-it-all fans that actually got it wrong. But that's the risk. It's the risk you take, you know. Um. So I think the other thing that that, that I quite like, I think you're sparing with your zombies, and I think zombie, I, zombie genre for me, the zombie genre is quite a difficult one these days because you've got. Walking Dead, which can pretty much do hordes of a, a million zombies. Um, and to compete with that is hard. So, you know, how do you compete with that? So I think you were quite clever in your kind of spare... I know, obviously, budgetary reasons as well. Um, but you were quite clever in your sparing use of the zombies. It, it felt right without feeling cheap. Well, I think I think that was... That was kind of the point. I think that one of the th places that the title came from, Shed of the Dead, was uh, off the back of, you know, you started having Land of the Dead and World of the Dead and everything Everything got bigger. It went from night to dawn to day. And then, but then it became sort of places and the scope seemed to be getting bigger and bigger. And I thought, I think part of the genesis of this was, well, what if it went smaller? Um, you know, we were bandying around titles like Night of the Living Room Dead. <laughs> that's a good um, title. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's the sequel, you know. Um, <clears throat> although this is also that as well, because they end up in the living room in the house. But but yeah, so the idea was, well, put it in a shed. And if you scale everything down to the world is, I mean, the world's bigger than the shed, obviously, but there's a big chunk of the film which just uh, takes place in a shed. So you don't need hordes and hordes of zombies. Um, so it was, yes, it's, Obviously, the budgetary it becomes a part of it. But the other thing about zombie films is I think it's characters are more interesting than zombies. Yeah, absolutely. You, yeah. Need, you need a good zombie here and there, of course. But, you know, I wasn't trying to make World War Z, obviously. 
<laughs> Thank God. Um, um, and it's not. I mean, it's weird because I suppose what makes zombies scary is is the number and is the sort of the threat of the this just unstoppable force of, of hundreds and hundreds of dead things that want to eat your brains. Whereas actually, you know, Michael Berryman walking around with a butt plug in and you know <laughs> wanting to knock on you in a house is is but but it's but it's a comedy. So so that's exactly the point. I think. Yeah. <laughs> God, I've forgotten about that. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. Um, so um, anything that you couldn't do that you wanted to do? Um, I would have liked another week to shoot it in. But <laughs> um, I don't think so, no. Um, there's, I, to be honest, actually, I can't remember. There's always compromises you make when, you, when you're sort of yeah. up against it and, and filming to a tight budget. Um, there were scenes that got sort of slightly truncated and stuff, but there's also always happy accidents. Um, there's moments where you go, oh, God, we can't do this scene, and uh, there and then you come up with something that's actually way better anyway. Um, so, no, I don't, I don't think so. I did. I mean, we had a we had a different DP on to begin with, who who actually <laughs> got rid of before we even started photography because his his idea of scope and scale was just not in line with what I wanted. And yeah. then Stephen Murphy came on, and I spoke to him. God, it was only a couple of weeks before we were due to start, so it was really last minute. He absolutely got it, and he you know the previous one wanted a bloody great huge light suspended from about five cranes over South London you know and he wanted to close he wanted to empty entire streets full of houses and I was like no you can just no it's, it's not what this is um, whereas Murphy came in and, and he's brilliant he, he um, he's just done uh, the Call of Duty TV series the last series oh nice yeah so he's you know he's doing really well in TV and he's he's hot he's really good um, but he came in and just said I don't know we're just we we put a smoke, four big lights or two lights this way, and then we will shoot, turn around, shoot the other way, two lights, bit of smoke. It's about confining it. We don't want to see the whole allotment, you know, this five acres of allotment. We want it to feel more constrained. Um, so now I, I'm I'm sort of happy with the sort of because it is common or garden. That was kind of the point. It's supposed to be a bit kitchen sinky, garden sheddy kind of thing. So I I, I like the fact that it's a bit small scale that's the point mm, nice so <clears throat> the most important part of the show mm. let's talk zombie movies <laughs> so uh the only prep i gave you the only prep was to come up with your list of top five zombie movies i i obviously have done the same we we have one small rule here on the podcast if if i so i give i say my number five and that number five is your number three uh you just say punt and then when it gets to your one, we talk about it. We won't go into great detail about any of them, but you know, it was just Fun. trying to get an overview of it. Um, I, I, I cheated because I did a, a, what we used to call a Ross, and I've put three honourable mentions on mine because I, oh. I kind of struggled. So I've my, got an, I've got an outside one that I didn't really wasn't sure if it fitted into my strict definition of zombie films, but <laughs> it's obviously the best film ever made. So you're talking about Evil Dead 2, yeah? Obviously. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. I know, I, I was I was toying with that. Is can Army of Darkness be classed as a zombie movie? <laughs> of course it can. But but I'm but I've 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 kind of put it aside because I thought we'll go down a more traditional route of zombies. Because also I've just I've just written a big a big piece about Evil Dead 2, so I can't just bang on about it all the time. <laughs> even though it is it is second to none. Um but so I've sort of let that aside, but with the understanding that it's better than everything else. Obviously. So <laughs> uh, my my three honourable mentions are Paranorman, 
mm-hmm. uh, which I, I love that film. And I love, I love all of their films. I think they are uh, a fantastic collective of filmmakers and studio. Uh, Train to Busan, which is a you know late entry, um, only released yeah. last year or the year before, but really enjoyed that. Really and, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a cracking film. And Dawn of the Dead 24, 2004. Um, which I, yeah. I not everyone's a fan of fast zombies. I get that. I truly get that. But that film is really fucking good, and it's a no, great I, remake. I did enjoy it. Yeah, I did enjoy it. I mean, the the, the original is still great. Punt. <laughs> oh god, yeah, <laughs> pump punt. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Two thousand and four. I think. Yeah, considering Zack Snyder is a hack, um, yeah. the Dawn of the Dead. It's one of those films that I went to hate, and kind of sat in the cinema with Ross, and the audience were cheering. You know, people were laughing, jumping, mm. celebrate, and you kind of go, "That's a hell of an experience." So, yeah. with that, Drew, what is your number five? Uh, my number five is Dead Snow. Oh, good, good choice. Nazi zombies in the snow, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, you can't really beat that, can you? you? Can't you can't go wrong? And actually, I think it was really good. I quite enjoyed the sequel as well. But I, I just think it's the idea of Nazis coming back as zombies. I just think it was inspired, and it's and it's. It's really well done, I think. It is. And, you know, it's like, um, I think those films that really turn up to 11, um, mm. like that, and Train to Busan for different for different reasons. But, you know, those films that really kind of t- take the norm and then just go, let's turn it up one more. I fucking yeah. love that. Um, so my my number five is a uh, an oldie but a goldie. Uh, it is Zombie Flesh Eaters, a.k.a. Zombie 2. Um mm. It's got zombie versus shark and an eye being punctured by a splinter. Yeah, it probably deserved to be in there. I didn't put it in, but yeah, it was it was on my radar. It's a horrible film, but it's a great film. Originally pitched um, by uh, the director as a sequel to Dawn of the Dead. Really? Yeah, yeah. It, it was considered in many territories. Because I think Dawn of the Dead was known as Zombie in Italy, and this was known as Zombie 2. Um, and then it was released as Zombie Fleshy. It's, it's got about forty-two different titles, but mm. basically, it was pitch. It was uh, it was a pitch as a sequel to Dawn of the Dead. Fine, good. There you go. So you learn something new every day. Uh, you're number Dude. four. Uh, number four, Wreck. Ah, good film. We're definitely going yeah. in a different direction, but I like the fact we're not duplicating at the moment. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> What's your four? Uh, my number four is Sean. Of uh, punt. <laughs> I had a feeling that one might come down the line. Uh, I... Uh, well, I can't not. It's, it's my number three, to be honest. So we can, oh, we can sort of come to it next. <laughs> it's, Perfect. It's, it's just, like I said earlier, it's an affectionate tribute. Yeah. But it's also an episode of Spaced. But it's just, it's I, it's just so slick as well. You've got, you know, the two leads. Well, they all, they all got it all worked together as you said, in space. So it's so slick, Edgar Wright's direction. And then it's just lean and mean and, you know, it's everything you want from a zippy comedy film. Uh, not... And it did just reinvent zombies of it as well, which is nice. Yeah, it did. And there's not a moment of film wasted in that movie. There's no, literally no. not a frame that doesn't have something of something of interest in. Uh, my personal highlight is when they're picking the records to, to chuck at the zombie's head. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're like they get into a conversation about whether they should throw a... And you just kind of go... That is probably more realistic dialogue than Tarantino could ever man- manage. Mm, mm. Uh, uh, so my number three is Dawn of the Dead. Punt. <laughs> <laughs> What's your number? You can't th- have that uh, one yet. Uh, your, your number two. Number, number two is Night of the Living Dead. Ah, uh, see, now I didn't put Night of the Living Dead on here, um, but oh. I love Night of the Living Dead. 
I just I just couldn't not put it. I mean, you know, part of me sort of said it should be number one, but uh, I, well, you know what my number one is, obviously now. Um, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> but but Night of the Living Dead is I just just the most groundbreaking of all of them, I think. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the genre would exist yeah. uh, without yeah. that film, and uh, you know, I'm not a fan of the remake, uh, the Tom Savini remake, but I appreciate that a lot of people really like that film. Yeah, it's all right, but I don't, it doesn't. What it doesn't have is the edge that the first one has, which was just, um, well, it was just groundbreaking. I think it was the first time horror movies in sort of cinemas were became like a horror movie. Yeah, I, and it, wasn't it? Wasn't it Roger Ebert's sort of thing? That, People were sort of disgusted because normally a horror, if you went to the, the cinema in America and watch a horror film, it would be a sort of, you know, Wolfman meets Frankenstein. Yeah. It, was all, it was all a bit kitschy and, you know, fun screams and, you know, teenagers holding hands and throwing popcorn over the place. Whereas suddenly it was, holy shit, this is horrible. They're using real bits of offal and, you know, there's real peril and real scariness in it. And it showed that you can make... I think more than anything, it showed you could make a really effective horror film on a really low budget, but just really clever. Um, yeah. And if only they kept the fucking copyright, eh? Yeah, right. Because <laughs> there isn't a filmmaker that at some point that hasn't thought, hmm, should I? Although, have you seen the one where they um, is it they have a duck going through it? No. Oh, if you can ever find that, it's hilarious. There's, there's just a sound effect or, or, or someone going, <laughs> periodically through it and every time a character looks around and then it's dubbed with sort of different dialogue where's that, where's that damn duck <laughs> i have to i literally have to know what oh um, you've got to find that it's hilarious my number two is a zombie film kinda i i may have stretched the uh the, the, a little bit but it certainly is you know zombie-ish um 28 days later um, yeah, yeah, I, I excluded it for it being not quite zombies, but it's not rage. quite zombies. But uh, for me, Twenty Eight Days Days Later is one of the best horror films ever, and it's one of the best British films for me ever. Um, so uh, yeah, so really, really enjoyed that. Uh, I'm guessing then your number one is Dawn of the Dead. Has Dawn to be of the Dead. I think it's it's everything about Night of the Living Dead, but ramped up and yeah for me that's the proper daddy of everything i mean if yeah if night of the living dead is the granddad dawn of the dead is is the daddy it's just it's so it's 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 just perfect and it's what i love about it is is, it's a curator's egg of a movie because you you can watch five different versions and see five different films yeah i love i I watched the dario argento cut a few years back for the first time and it's Mm. it's a very different movie um, which is surprising. So, uh, okay. So, can you guess what my number one is? Oh Christ! <laughs> can I guess? Um, have, you, have you chucked Evil Dead in there? No, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, no. My number one is, and this is slightly controversial. It's my favourite of the Romero films. Yes, it's Survival of the Dead. No, it's not. Um, Jesus <laughs> fucking hell! Oh, Day of the Dead. Really? Day of the Dead. Yeah, it's it's just a fi- right. Day of the Dead is is that that zombie film that. It really highlights just how fucked this world is if it if that ever happened, right? You you take all the darkness in in The Walking Dead and you you go, oh look, you know, oh isn't the world bad? And, and then put that next to fucking Day of the Dead, and it literally looks it makes Walking Dead look like an episode of Neighbours. You know, it's <laughs> Day of the Dead is the most depressing, the most kind of kind of deeply disturbing look at 
what society would truly be if those barriers mm. were broken down. It's, it's not just it's a great zombie film, and it is a great zombie film. I love the idea of them kind of almost trapping themselves in this location and mm. kind of being at the end of everything. But it, it's actually, it, it, like you said earlier, it's the human drama that makes it for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I've got it on Good. VHS, and it's brilliant to watch on VHS as well. God, you have a VHS player. I wow, do, I'm yeah, impressed. I know, right? <laughs> in fact, I need to get Evil Dead. I don't have Evil Dead on VHS. I'm making a note of that. Um, that <laughs> is a cracking list of zombie films. It is. Uh, Drew, so look, I know, appreciate we are running out of time, um, but tell the good people where they can, f- A, find out more about the film and where they can watch it, because that's the most important bit. Um, if you want to watch it on the big screen, um, if you're in the UK, that is, uh, Stratford Picture House on the 18th of May is part of London Sci-Fi. It's available uh, across the country on the 20th of May, uh, digital download, so uh, iTunes, Amazon, Google, uh, Sky, something or other, the, the usual platforms across them all. Um, it's also opening in America uh, in selected cinemas in California. I don't know the details of what exactly, but you sure you can find out um and i believe germany quite soon as well as doing a brief theatrical run but yes for the uk at the moment it's digital from the 20th unless you can make it to the premiere if you can please do because i will be there along with uh, all the british cast sadly not brian blessed but the other four <laughs> um which is annoying because back when we did the voice stuff with brian he said he said let me know when the premiere is i'll absolutely be there um but sadly, he can't make it. Uh, he's got to go and record those voiceovers for Peppa Pig. Yeah, he's yeah, Peppa Pig's working him really hard. <laughs> um, so yeah, come come check it out or or watch it on digital and uh, yeah, spread the word. And uh, you can check out my review at www.philsquickreview.co.uk, uh, which will be up probably before the podcast. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but I uh, I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was a, a real, yeah. really good fun. Um, and no, this isn't me lying to the director because I've got it on my podcast. I actually did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Stan corrected. I have Evil Dead 2 on VHS. I've just looked up when I actually have it. You should think oh, I should know what I've got, God. really. You really should. You really, really should. should. We, didn't, we didn't do our iconic zombies, by the way. Oh, go on. What's your iconic zombie? Uh, just just because sort of, it, it does tie back into the film. Um, I went for the uh, the helicopter zombie from Dawn of the Dead, uh, Jim Ooh, Crutt, or Crutt. Nice. I don't know quite how you pronounce it. I hope it's Crutt, because if you watch carefully in the animated opening to Shadow of the Dead, you'll notice that the name of the salon that uh, Lauren and yes. Emily's characters work at is Crutt's Cuts. <laughs> which nice. Is, which, is, which is a little joke that people sort of resisted me. They went, no one's going to get that. No one's going to get that. And I said, I don't care. No, what's I, funnier I, I as a hair that. salon what's funnier than referencing someone who got the top of his head cut off by a helicopter blade Brilliant. that's actually genius because I didn't get I didn't refer, I didn't see that reference so that was, uh, that was yeah. so I'm going to have to watch it again now but um, that's that's what I mean about references I think just just sneak them in there if people get them great if they don't and it means you know you can watch it multiple times why not uh, and probably my iconic zombie would be um, oh god and now the name escapes me the lead guy from Dawn of the Dead that gets zombified oh, spoiler alert um <laughs> Well, the remake? No, the original. Um, oh, uh, check shirt bloke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> whose name completely escapes me. But it's not... Um, so it's not him that, that that's the kind of one I'm thinking of. But actually, it's him when they do him in Walking Dead. Mm. And that was a fantastic... Stephen. Is it Stephen? Yeah, it's Stephen. Okay. Uh, that, yeah, I know, right? That is a... <laughs> it's a fantastic reference to have him... 
kind of referenced in a TV show that took place mm. years and years and years and years and years later. Um, so there you go. Uh, anyway, look, Drew, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you back on the podcast. And, uh, you know, when you uh, when you finally uh, get around to making the next film in eight years' time, uh, you're welcome back. <laughs> Or finishing the next film later. So. Well, thanks for having film. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, don't forget to check out uh, the podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes and all regular places. Check out www.philsquickreview.co.uk for all the reviews and blog. And you can follow us on Twitter at Phil Quick Review. There's no S on that one. And we're even on Instagram at Ross and Phil Talk Movies. Uh, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Go and watch uh, Shed of the Dead. It's bloody good fun. Uh, and Drew, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Bye. 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 An ordinary man. Oh, Trevor, isn't it? Last time I checked. Dreams of being a warrior. But his only refuge from his nagging wife. I'm the one bringing the money in while you're indulging in some pathetic male fantasy. Is his shed. Gotten together, we've signed a petition. To be honest, gardening's not really my thing. Now they want to take that away. I'm not going to kill someone for trying to evict me from my bloody allotment. But accidents happen. Parsons. If there's going to be any bludgeoning happening today, I will not be on the receiving end. Bobby, Bobby, something terrible has happened. Get out! As do zombie apocalypses. The help of his only friend. That's something you don't see every day. He must now decide. We need to save our women. If his wife is worth saving. We really, we really don't. And if he's ready to become a hero. It's all right for you. You don't have to hack up and bury the people you kill. 